to share with anybody. You can answer them for yourself and maybe go back later for a little bit of reflection in your devotion time. Tonight I'm going to talk for just a few minutes on what is your end game. And then we're going to let Brother Russ clean it all up real nice. (laughs) We're going to start while they're passing those out with Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and protects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. We're going to focus on and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why am I doing what I'm doing? In anything, not in just in living for God, but you just look up one day and you're like, why am I doing this? So that's the first thing to write down on your piece of paper. Why am I doing what I'm doing? I ask myself that on a regular basis, and I don't always answer myself correctly. It's a good question to ask as long as you know how to get the answer. It's just frustrating if you don't know how to get an answer. All you do is ask yourself the same question over and over. The only way to get the answer is to have something to point to that makes sense, something that you're actions or helping you reach some kind of goal. You can say, why am I doing what I'm doing? And then you have a goal to point to, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Then life kind of balances out and makes sense again. But it doesn't always work with our short-term goals because our short-term goals change. Mine change regularly. (laughs) But we have end-of-life goals We should have end-of-life goals. We should all have things we want to accomplish before we die. I wrote down three questions. You can ask yourself all of them, or you can just ask, choose one. That would help you answer the question, why am I doing what I'm doing? If you can answer these three, or one of these, that would help you answer the question, why am I doing what I'm doing? Number one, what do you want Jesus to say when you finally meet him face-to-face for eternity? So what do I want Jesus to say to me when he, him and I discuss my life? That's question number one. What do I want others to think or say about me after I die? Probably think, because most people won't say what they really think after you die. <laughs> they might before you die, but after you die, things begin to look a little prettier. Rose-colored glasses and all. Question number three, how do I make decisions today to result in the answers, the, to result in these answers in my tomorrow? So how do I make decisions today to get the results I want at the end? So does anybody need me to repeat a question? All right, all of them. What do I want Jesus to say when we talk about my life? Number two, what do I want people to think or say about me after I die? 
And how do I make decisions today to get the answers that I want at the end, to get these things, the answer to these questions? That could have been written better. It was a little ambiguous. All right, everybody good? Number three, how do I make decisions today to accomplish my end goals? Let's put it that way. How do I make decisions today to accomplish my end goals? So you may get some answers to this as we go through, or you can take a moment and ponder them. But if you can answer these questions, it will help answer why am I doing what I'm doing. And if what you're doing doesn't help you get to some of these goals, then you might want to change what you're doing. As leaders, we must have permanent goals. That's very hard for somebody like me. I'm constantly changing things, wiggling a little bit. Well, that really wasn't that important. Let's move on to something more interesting. Okay? There are people that set goals, and if you change those plans at all, you're in trouble. I have been in trouble many times in my marriage. After months of planning, I'm like, eh, it doesn't matter. Let's just do this instead. <laughs> it doesn't go over so well. Although I will say, I have a very patient husband. We must have some things that we look at like a compass that help us stay focused and realign ourselves when we get off course from our end goals. God is calling us and continually restoring us to right relationship with him making us more like him and renewing a right spirit within us, he's growing us. Many times in the process of change and growing in our walk with God, as we grow and change, our understanding and perceptions of things grow and change, which changes our short-term goals. God may call us to different areas or places of ministry, which can change our short-term goals. We can ask, God asks different things of us than we thought we were going to do, which can change our short-term goals. And as we go through different seasons of life and ministry, we just change. We get older. There's some things I wanted to do when I was younger, and I'm like, huh. I see somebody do something, and I'm just, they're like, what do you think? I'm like, go ahead. Just go for that. Because somebody's got to, because it's not going to be me anymore. But there's some things I never would have done when I was younger. And now I'm like, pick me, pick me, pick me. You know? Midlife crisis hits. I want to go skydiving. Nobody in my life will let me till the children are old enough to, you know, not have to be raised by someone else. <laughs> so there's things I want to do now that I never anticipated just because I'm freaking out because I'm getting older. And I'm like, well, I'm going to die anyway. I might as well go do something crazy. And that's not always wise either. But my short-term goals are fluctuating and changing. So... In the middle of all of this, trying to find our end goals, what God wants in our life, and serve God, there is a consistency. There is a constant thing that happens in our lives, and that is distractions. They are constantly bombarding us. We are, we are distracted by different things every single day, sometimes the same things. There are times when we will experience, through distraction, a direct frontal attack from our enemy. And we muster everything we've learned, every scripture we know, 
every Christian song we can sing, every prayer we know to pray, to hold on as tight to Jesus as possible during a frontal attack and keep our eye on the hope that we have through salvation in Jesus. If I can just survive, and that's all we think. Paul understood this and gave Timothy these instructions. But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have confessed so well before many witnesses. So when you're in this point in life, hold on to the truth, to faith, do what's right, persevere. And then we, you know, when you're in those times, it's, it's kind of hard to get distracted if you are hanging from a rope a thousand feet in the air. You're going to think about holding on to that rope. It doesn't matter what's going on, what flies by, who needs help, we're holding on. But then when we're just living life and there is no frontal attack, we see another side of our enemy. Satan is a deceiver. And he has refined the art of distraction. If he can distract you, get you off course, get you to a place where you're disoriented, confused, hurt, maybe just tired from wandering around. Then he can infuse discouragement, fear, condemnation, fears of worthlessness for not achieving your goals, insignificance, and aloneness. And Satan knows that we are easily distracted. It doesn't take much. Um, a few nights ago, I'm driving along in the dark, and I get lost. I'm a landmark driver. So when my landmarks are gone, Rachel's lost. But I'm going home, and I know how to get home, so I'm driving along. And I caught every red light. And I was, I was like, seriously? Every red light? And then I saw a green light. I was like, oh, yes, it is mine. And I'm like, vroom, through that green light. And Kendall's in the back, and he goes, well, Mom just missed our turn home. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, he obviously doesn't know where we are. He doesn't even drive. Of course I didn't miss my turn home. And I said, no, I didn't. Kendall does not know what he's talking about. And Kendall's like, well, that light up there is past our house. And I did miss my turn. I caught that green light. But I missed my turn, and it took 30 minutes to get back home because I had to go way down in traffic. It was 6 o'clock. Turn around, catch every red light on the way back, and get home. And I didn't even know I missed it because I got that green light. And I'm, that's how easily distracted we are. We can have faith like Timothy. We can hold on to truth and still become distracted. Distracting, being distracted doesn't mean we're living a life of sin. It doesn't mean we've gone into debauchery. It doesn't mean that we have failed miserably. It just means that we might not be sure we where we think we are. We're just a little distracted. The problem with distractions is that they're always present. We never get a break from distractions. Um, there are distractions in everything we do. There's things we like can be distractions. I don't know if any of you have wondered why this $20 bill sitting up here. But any time as a kid, a preacher would pull out money. I was like, oh, thank me. Whatever it is, I'll do it. I just knew he was going to do And whenever they would do that and then take the money back at the end, I was like, well, you're a bad preacher. I mean, every time. I could not believe, even if it wasn't me, that they would offer some kid this money in an example and then take it back. It's like somebody hasn't thought this through. They do not have the love of God in them. 
So as a child, that was really disturbing to me. So I didn't put my $20. I just taped it here as a good distraction. <laughs> things we don't like can be a distraction. Fun things can be a distraction. Upsetting things. Too much of a good thing can be a distraction. Difficult situations, conflict, unexpected change, temptation, offense, disruptions of plans. The list can go on and on. Even God's will and God asking us to do something can be a distraction. We get so distracted with really not wanting to do this or thinking about these other plans that we're not really taking care of what we want to right now. So, does anybody notice anything right now in the building that's distracting? Has anybody been distracted by anything? Caleb, Sister Lynn, in her umbrella. Anybody else been distracted by anything? Oh, somebody's getting sprayed with water. Anybody else notice anything distracting? Brother Art. Popcorn. We smell popcorn. I'm so sorry for those that it might disrupt a little bit. I was hoping it didn't upset anybody too badly. Anything else for our real specific people? Amani? Anything? Distracting you? What'd you say? Not Chinese food, but it's popcorn. It is grease. It's got all the goodness. Erica in the back. Jasmine has lots of bows in her hair. I noticed that as well. Anybody else? There's one more thing, but it's only for the super particular people that things bother real easy. Brother Owen, her umbrella. Anybody else, sister? My dollar's crooked. I'm going to step out here. Anything else? I have two different shoes. I was going to go with a boot and a high heel, but I just felt like that was giving it away. So there's things in life, that's all of my distractions that were on purpose. Just so you know. So you, can, so you cannot be quite as distracted as Sister Lincoln put her. The popcorn smells like going away. I'm sorry, Brother Russ. Um, he'll have to preach through the popcorn smell. But after church, Sister Lil has popcorn to give away. Um... So there are things in life that distract us, and they're not all. Who loves the smell of popcorn unless you don't get any? I love the smell of popcorn. Even when I don't want popcorn and coffee, I sniff it. It's a, but I can get really distracted because I'm looking, I'm looking for it. And then whatever I was doing is suddenly not as important as finding what I'm smelling. Those aren't sin. None of these distractions are sin. Now, they're is sin in our life that is distractions. But many distractions cannot be ignored. If it affects my nose, good, bad, or ugly, I cannot ignore it. I am thinking about it. And if I knew you were sick the night before church, I might hold your neck, but I am thinking about it. So I'm just like, oh, hello. You know? <laughs> Because I don't want to catch it. There's some things that just grab our attention and we can't let go. So for someone to say, you just need to learn to ignore distractions. Well, they're just farther along in their spiritual journey than me. Because I don't believe that we can ignore every distractions. It, in some instances, it may actually make things worse. Scripture gives us good insight into addressing distractions making good decisions, which also helps us when addressing distractions, and how to prevent things in our life that would cause unhealthy distractions. 
Proverbs chapter 14, I picked little verses all out of that chapter. So we're going to start reading with verse 8. The prudent understand where they are going, but fools deceive themselves. Fools make fun of guilt, but the godly acknowledge it and seek reconciliation. Only simpletons believe everything they're told. The prudent carefully consider their steps. The wise are cautious and avoid danger. Fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence. It is a sin to belittle one's neighbor. Blessed are those who help the poor. A truthful witness saves lives, but a false witness is a traitor. Those who feel the, fear the Lord are secure. He will be a refuge for their children. People with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealously is like a cancer to the bones. How I deal with today and the situations I'm in affects my tomorrows and my end goals, my end game, what I'm trying to get to. The decisions I make today affect how I get there and if I get there and sometimes even when I get there. So I'm going to recap what that scripture says. Don't take advice from fools. Stay away from them. No matter how convincing they are, stay away. And it is, I have fallen in the trap. I have jumped in with both feet before and really regretted it. And my parents would say, what were you thinking? I was like, I wasn't thinking. <laughs> they were so convincing. Fools love distractions. Know where you're going. Be aware of where you are and where you're going and how you want to get there. Don't be like, green light, foam. Be aware of where you are and where you're going. Always acknowledge your sin and repent. It sounds too good to be true, but it really is true. If we will just acknowledge our failure, acknowledge our sin and repent, and then we just keep right on going. Don't believe everything you hear, even about yourself. Seek wise counsel. Be cautious. Don't let anyone pressure you into a quick decision. Don't make fun of others. Help those in need. Tell the truth and make friends with people that tell the truth. Make sure your decisions honor God. Control your temper and don't make decisions when angry. Seek peace and do not allow jealousy in your life. That's what that scripture is saying. If we do these things and we put these in our life, yes, we'll have distractions, but it'll be much harder to get distracted by the things that will actually destroy us. I ran, I mean, I went through a green light. If I'd have been mad, just ran through that red light, I could have had a wreck. There's things that will stop us from making decisions that are harmful. But even with all of that, you're still going to have distractions. You're still going to have to deal with it every day. There's days my kids are like, I don't feel like we did anything today. And I'm like, I don't either. I don't know what we did. <laughs> it all started out well, but then I was like, I need brownies. And from brownies came, oh, now I'm tired after I ate three brownies, and I need to sit down for a while. So let's just sit down and do this. And whatever was on my list didn't happen because I was very distracted. And my oldest son is, it's really, it really tries him. The younger two are with me. But the oldest, he's like his father, and he has plans, and I disrupt them. So how do we stay focused through these distractions, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that still come even after following Scripture and continuing to grow into the person God's called us to be? Number one, we don't lose sight of the finish line, 
of our end game. Those questions at the beginning, those are the questions we need to keep in mind. Why am I doing what I'm doing? What does Jesus say about this? How does this affect him? And how does it affect others? Don't allow your emotions to take control. Our emotions can be just as distracting as the thing that caused our emotions to flare up. Remember why. Remember what God has done for you, where you have come from, and where he's taking you. Don't lose hope. If you have hope, then you can have faith. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. So even if you feel like all faith is gone, hang on to hope and it'll spark your faith to life again. Continue to dream. No matter how young you are or how old you are, our dreams change as we get older, but continue to dream. Continually check where you are in relation to where you want to be. Where am I? Pray always, continually talk to God, discussing every situation, attitude, distraction, and decision, and let him help you realign and stay on track. When you're driving and not trying to beat all the lights, you still have to constantly readjust. I think it might have been Brother Russ I might have been watching online that talked about when your head goes one way, you just go with it. I've done that before. Uh, Usually there's much drama in the van when I look away because everybody's like, where are you going? Because I'm going wherever. I'm like, look at that person. And I usually hear, look at the road. But when we're driving, we're constantly readjusting. You don't just put a finger on the steering wheel, hit the accelerator. I'm like, well, it's straight. The road changes. People cut you off. People honk at you. Lights change. You get startled. You get tired. You're constantly readjustments. These adjustments are good because it means you're in motion. If you're discouraged because you've been distracted or maybe something's happened and you failed and you have to make an adjustment, you have to correct some things and maybe repent and fix some things, don't be discouraged because if you weren't correcting yourself, then it would mean you weren't moving. You're just sitting still. You're like that person, you know, in San Francisco that's all painted gold. Everybody tries to distract them. They can't even get distracted because they're not going anywhere. You just stand. I can only take it so long with that person not moving. And I've done all my things and they don't move. Then I'm mad. So I leave. So you're moving. You're not just standing there posing. You're actually in motion. So yeah, you're going to mess up. You may run off the road. You might miss your turn. You may derail. You may hurt somebody you love or someone may hurt you, but you're constantly adjusting because you're moving. Just don't get discouraged. Continual checks, balances, realignments, and changes are needed to stay on course. But that means you're moving. God didn't call you to sit in fear of making mistakes, but to run the race. Paul admitted that he had to repent and make adjustments in his walk with God due to the constant war with his flesh. But he also had this to say at the end of his life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. He didn't say he was perfect. And he didn't say he got everything right. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. And that's us. And that's our end game. We have hope. We have eternity with our Savior. A new kingdom, a new heaven, and a new earth. 
By keeping the end in sight and not letting the distractions fill our vision, we can finish our race and meet our goals in our walk with God and in leadership. So let's stand together. And I just, my only thought is just remember the end game no matter what happens, and you'll make it. Brother Russ, if you wouldn't. and take up the offering. The ushers begin to make their way forward to receive the offering tonight. <laughs>